1: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan. Joe, we have an awesome interview today that I think really just touches on everything we could want to talk about, and and since you and I have last recorded, the world has changed in in a million ways, and it kind of feels like that every week, but particularly this week, we have the Pennsylvania Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, on to talk about insurrection, impeachment, all sorts of I-words, um... It's it's a fascinating interview that gets into all sorts of legal questions and moral questions about what we've witnessed happening, how it all came to be, how, you know, the states and these public servants really stepped in to save the day when there was such a dearth of leadership at the tippy top of the federal government. And, you know, what we can do going forward to make sure what we've witnessed over the last week and really over the last four years just never happens again. And it's it's a fascinating conversation. I'm excited for everyone to hear about it. And it also just feels very necessary to have a voice of reason and logic in a week that has just felt so chaotic.
1: Totally. Well, I'm sitting here. uh, The two of us are sitting here. And as we speak, there are going to be four or five days left uh, under Trump in this madness, after which we're going to have more sane, reasonable, reality-based people in the White House. And what we're going to be left with, I mean, it it kind of blows my mind and it's sad to me, the way that Joe Biden has been left holding this bag of, you know, shit. Let's just be honest. It's like the, the country is broken and people talking about the 74 million people uh, out there who are supposedly angry. I don't believe it's that number. I think a lot of those people, they voted and it's not like their vote is their all consuming passion and they need to storm the Capitol, um, as a result. But there are, you know, millions of people out there who have, who think that Trump is the rightful president and are left in a state of emotional trauma of one kind or another, just anger. Right. And so, uh, while you were doing your interview, I, I was doing an interview myself, which is going to appear in print on the Hive. Everybody should check it out at some point with the a cult expert, a cult expert named Steve Hassan, who wrote a book called The Cult of Trump. He was a former Mooney mm. who escaped the Moonies. Yeah. And he talks about the how the Trump followers are like a cult. You know, we use that pretty liberally to call them a cult, but he says it's, it is a cult, it has Officially. all the similarities to a cult. Yeah. And how to deprogram those people? How do we get them out of it? And, you know, we had uh, Jack Dorsey was on Twitter the other day talking about having we have to re architect social media to, you know, help bring us together rather than divide us to figure out how to kind of separate toxic information from actual real information. God knows how that's going to be done. But that's part of the solution too um, for Trump followers and for people who might be susceptible to a Trump like figure who's going to, you know, brainwash them ultimately, you know, with his lies. And so that's something we'll have uh, on the hive. And so between the two interviews we've done today, I feel like people are going to get a a rounded picture of uh, our assessment of what is happening.
0: Yeah, it's a real it's a one two punch in and I can't wait for you to hear this interview with the Attorney General, but I I can't wait to read your interview too because one of the most startling things to witness over the last week is obviously the the violent insurrection was just unbelievable and and terrifying but the kind of the lack of an ability to reason with a large swath of this country Mm. feels hopeless I don't know what you do with it like a lot of people in this country believe without any merit or any evidence that this election was stolen. And there's no getting through, seemingly, and obviously, I'm sure that's what you talk about is is how to deprogram yeah. that mindset, and and that is going to be so valuable. And it's it's the thing that really has kept me up at night. It's it's less about what happened last week, though. That's so scary. But what will happen in the coming weeks and years? It's just ugh. well, the one thing I'll, I'll
1: say that um, Steve Hassan says is that once Biden is in office. Kamala Harris is in office. And, you know, the megaphone that we've all been living under has been a big part of it. You know, the megaphone of Trump, his Twitter feed and everything else, and that's all being, you know, sidelined. And there's going to be a, a different set of voices in the ether. Certainly, that is going to help bring the temperature down a little bit. But yeah, it's going to be a challenge. And in some cases, it's going to be up to people like you and me and everybody who's listening here to kind of change their own script mm. in the way they deal with people on the ground who may believe these things. And um, so, you know, how do you connect with people without turning it into, you know, a political collision, right? Uh, so anyway, these are conversations that we're going to be having for a long time, I, I imagine.
0: Yeah, we, we touch on some of that in, in the interview you're we about to hear. So should we just get right to it and let the experts Let's jump talk?
1: into it. Let's jump into it. Great.
0: I am here with Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro, which is such an exciting thing for me to say, firstly, because he has a very big role at the center of just about every issue and legal fight and piece of news that we could possibly care about. But secondly, because A.G. Shapiro happens to be one of my favorite people personally, who I've known for many years. So, Attorney General, thank you so much for coming on and giving me this treat. I know this is probably the best day of my dad's life, who you've known for a long time, knowing that we're doing this together. So thank you.
2: I am so excited to be here. It's it's a mutual admiration society, and um, I love watching you on TV and hearing your insights and reading your pieces. They're always super interesting, and um, I can't believe you're wasting a podcast on me, but I'm I'm really excited to be here with
0: you. Oh, please. We have so much to talk about. I almost don't know where to start, but I guess... The logical place is let's just talk about what is going on in the world and what has been going on for the last week. um, You announced that your office is working closely with the FBI and encouraging anyone with tips or information about who was involved in the riots last week at the Capitol uh, and and to be in touch with you and your office and the FBI I know you can't talk about any ongoing investigations, but I'm wondering if you can just talk generally about what happened, about your thoughts about what we saw, and what you envision your role and your office's role in being as the days and weeks unfold and this investigation continues.
2: Yeah. Well, let me let me hit your question on the FBI up front and then let me talk about, you know, the the broader piece here. We you are correct and We are in really constant communication with the FBI, sharing tips and intel with them. Uh, We have a good, strong partnership with them. Uh, Many arrests have been made, many more will come. Uh, Obviously, a a large majority of these cases will lie with the FBI, but I, I wanna be clear, if we can prove that there was a conspiracy that started here in Pennsylvania to commit these crimes, well, we will not hesitate to bring state charges. You know, in terms of the the broader picture, we're now a week or so away from what occurred at the Capitol. Uh, I think it's really important that we get our language right, because some people have referred to this as a protest. Some people have referred to this as violent. Let let me be very clear about something. I know the difference between a peaceful protest and a violent insurrection. This was a violent insurrection that was predicated on a big lie that was told to these people by the sitting president of the United States and amplified by his enablers, some of whom in elected positions are frankly too stupid to know that they were being lied to and others are too spineless To stand up to this president and stand up for our democracy and stand up for our Constitution, and instead bow down to his mean tweets and threats of primary campaigns. Uh, I found it to be a remarkable moment after the violent insurrection was cleared, and the white supremacists were removed from our capital. That black and white janitors had to clean up their mess. Mm. And after all that, after all that, members of Congress returned to that floor of the House. and more than a hundred of them, including eight from Pennsylvania, continued to perpetuate the lie, mm. the lie that led to that insurrection, and voted, to disenfranchise more than 7 million Pennsylvanians based on a lie. Think about that for a second. (laughs) These members of Congress ran on the same ballot that the president did, that they claimed was rigged and phony, yet somehow were to believe that their elections were just and that they should be seated in Congress.
0: There's no logical explanation for that. It's like convenient theories for us 101 it makes no logical sense no rational sense and I think that you're a hundred percent right that one of the most stunning things that happened last week obviously the insurrection and the violence that we saw was shocking and terrifying and disheartening but the the thing that really got me was watching the people continue to incite what we saw right after it and and as someone who is very clear about holding the people who stormed the Capitol responsible. I'm wondering what you think should happen to the people who incited it, and that includes the president, it includes members of his family, it includes those lawmakers who stood up even after the violence and continued to perpetuate those things. What, what should happen to those people?
2: Three things should happen, uh, one of which is under my control in part, and the other two are not, but I'm gonna speak about all three. Please. N- number one, There need to be arrests of the people who engaged in this insurrection, the planning, uh, the violent attacks, crossing police lines, whether they are a member of Congress, someone from Delaware County, Pennsylvania, uh, or someone from somewhere else in in this country. That needs to happen. And we in law enforcement are doing that work together. Mm. Second, the president needs to not only be impeached, he must be convicted. And third, these members of Congress that perpetuated the big lie, that engaged in this uh, conspiracy, they need to be expelled from the House and Senate. And Republicans and Democrats need to take a firm stand that we cannot allow insurrectionists to be members of Congress.
0: Can you can you walk me through your logic? And uh, you are in the vast majority of... Democrats and I think a growing majority in the country who believe the president should be impeached, but I'm curious your Your legal and moral justification for people who aren't yet convinced that this is the right move Why why are you in favor of impeaching the president?
2: The president of the United States egged on this violent insurrection It was based on a lie that he told over and over again He spent months if not years undermining our democracy. Mm. He tried to get state actors to break the law and find votes for him to use his words uh, in in these various states. He sent lawyers into court to lie on his behalf to suggest that there was somehow voter fraud when we all know that there wasn't, and where you know more than sixty courts. Have found that uh, that there wasn't any. So I think for all of those reasons and more, he ought to be uh, not just impeached but convicted.
0: Mm. I mean, those are
2: that's a succinct and very compelling argument for me. Well, yeah. And Emily, here's the thing: if not this, then what? Sure. If you're not going to impeach someone over this type of conduct who serves as the commander in chief, the president of the United States. Then, then what the hell would we impeach someone for? Well,
0: we have to stand for democracy at its core, right? And, and we're not talking about, I'm not talking about the fact that there aren't political reasons or practical reasons for potentially not doing this right now in this moment. But I think that uh, it's very important to stand for this and to make it known to other lawmakers who We're not going to impeach or maybe will not be expelled. This is just a moment where we have to stand for something.
2: This is Inside the Hive. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
1: How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel pcom slash Hive.
0: And this conversation of, well, is it is this what the Biden administration should be focused on, especially in its first week or first 100 days, comes up when we also talk about other criminal investigations or even other civil investigations that the president uh, could be party to or. A part of i'm wondering what you think about whether or not the department of justice should focus on investigating the president for potential other wrongs crimes misdeeds misdoings
2: well first off i think joe biden and his administration can walk and chew gum mm-hmm. and uh, whether he likes it or not we cannot simply just move on from donald trump we we can't be 10 days 12 days whatever it will be at that point you know out from a violent insurrection and say well we have a new president now all of that is in the past let's move forward and i'm not suggesting joe biden is is saying that but i've i've heard some commentators suggest let's just move on you can't you can't this was a violent insurrection in our us Capitol. there may have been members of congress involved C- certainly they were egging it on uh, we know that the president of the united states incited this you you can't simply move on and i would say to my colleagues in, in law enforcement, uh, you know, I, I think I'm speaking for them, we wouldn't move on if, if we had that type of evidence against anyone else. And I think that there is ample evidence against the sitting president uh, that he violated the law. And I think that there will be uh, a lot more coming to light once he no longer occupies 1600 Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, and if I were him, I'd be getting together a A large crew of defense attorneys ready to defend me in various states and potentially from federal uh, charges. He is corrupt uh, and he is someone who we can't simply allow uh, to sort of, you know, go hide at Mar-a-Lago and pretend that this didn't happen just because as a nation we want to move forward. He must be held accountable for his crimes.
0: Sure. And I mean, the problem for the president, one of many problems for the president and what he will face is who's going to represent him? Not only because it feels almost indefensible, but he doesn't pay his lawyers. We saw more reporting this week that they're trying to stiff Rudy Giuliani, which would probably be the dozen lawyer that he's tried to stiff over the course of his administration. I don't know that there's going to be a line of defense attorneys ready to jump in on that, the the other thing that I'm very curious about, uh, you have been uh, very much on top of big tech uh, in other areas, but I'm wondering what you think of what the the tech companies have done over the last week in either outright banning the president or suspending him for a period of time. We saw it with Twitter, we saw it with Facebook, YouTube, all of them. Is was it the right move? Was it too little, too late? It kind of feels like a nice bit of quiet not having his tweets out there every day.
2: It was the right move, and it was it was too late. Uh, the president was inciting violence for years. Uh, the president was perpetuating a big lie uh, for years. Um, you know, I'm particularly disturbed by the way he used the Facebook platform, by the way in which uh, some of the executives there cozied up with Jared, who I find to be one of the most vile human beings. They took a lot of money from the Trump campaign. Uh, The Trump campaign manipulated uh, Facebook and was able to use that as a platform, uh, certainly to organize for their campaign, but also to organize uh, a whole lot of hate and a whole lot of discord in this country. Um, These are private platforms. They have a responsibility. Uh, to act in a way that uh, doesn't allow their platforms to be used to foment violence and and hate. And I think uh, it's too late, but I'm glad that they finally did it. Uh, I'm a little cynical in terms of the timing. Uh, you know, when they did it. Uh, I will tell you that, you know I'm in the midst of lawsuits uh, that that I'm one of the leads on with other attorneys general across the country uh, with Facebook, and I can assure you that, uh, these issues will be part of our discussions going forward.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the, the lawsuits that you're engaged in with Facebook and with other tech giants? They're, they're fascinating.
2: Yeah, look, in general, I want to make sure that people's data is protected and that uh, they have a reasonable understanding of what is used uh, or how their data is being used. Pardon me. I think everybody understands if you post a picture of your, your kids or your family or what have you up on Facebook, um, you don't have a reasonable expectation to privacy on that anymore. Uh, you're obviously putting it out there for people to see, whether it's your approved friends or whether uh, on a Facebook page like mine, it's the general public. However, I, I think it is, uh, it is appropriate for users to know if that data is then being taken by Facebook and sold to a company like Cambridge Analytica. And I'm involved in that Uh, investigation, Mm. and that that then be used for political purposes or some other purpose. I think you have a right to your data. You have a right to understand what is being done with that data. That is one big part of what we're looking at. Um, Second big part of what we're looking at, and this is particularly um, appropriate for our conversation about Google, is whether or not they, uh, they violate antitrust laws in how they run their search engine, in how they do their advertising, in what you as a consumer see when you type in Emily Jane Fox in in Google. Uh, and you know why is that different than if you type in Emily Jane Fox in on DuckDuckGo to name another search engine, by the way, a Pennsylvania-based company? And so I think all of those questions are really important, and they're ones that uh, we will continue to work on as attorneys general. I know some members of Congress are looking at this. Um, I'm pleased that the Trump Justice Department will no longer be uh, our partner in this. They have always, in my dealings with them, wanted to focus on this sort of you know, bogus argument of silencing conservative speech. Every conversation I've ever tried to have with them about these serious antitrust issues devolves into some nonsensical rant from someone on the far right saying that this is really just about censorship by big tech. And to me, that's not what these issues are about. These are about protecting consumers, protecting consumer data, and giving them a right to their personal information. So that's, generally speaking, the kinds of things we're looking
0: at. Well, I think that what you're saying about you sort of dealing with a different kind of justice department is true and fascinating. And one of the things, I actually was talking to my dad about this last night as we talked about our conversation today. Yeah. The thing that is has been so striking to me is that there's sort of been a philosophical reversal, right? Forever, basically, Republicans have been the party of limiting the federal government in favor of state and local government. But over the last four years, there's basically been no federal government under this Republican administration, or if there was a federal government, it was focused on the wrong things, it was corrupt, it was morally bankrupt, there weren't enough people filling it out. You can name a laundry list of things that were sort of absent or wrong there, and you and people like you, and attorneys general in in a variety and and many many states, have basically had to govern the country on a state and local level. It's been fascinating to watch. Do you does that resonate to to you at all?
2: Yeah, it really, it really has been fascinating. It's funny how how few people here in Pennsylvania knew what the hell an attorney general did when yes. ran back in 2016 and. Um, You know, now everybody wants to tell you how to do your job and weigh in on these issues, which I love, and I just think it's wonderful that people see the importance of the rule of law, see how important it is that you know the rule of law apply fairly uh, and equally across the board, no matter what you look like, where you come from, who you love, who you pray to, or choose not to pray to. And you know, to me, that's always been the 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 bedrock of why I'm in public service, and uh, it. It has been challenging, of course, to not have the same type of partnership you'd need uh, at Maine Justice in order to de- deal with these issues, whether it's a civil rights issue or protecting our planet, you know, these issues that we work on every day. I have been just so proud of the work that my team has done here in Pennsylvania and some of my fellow attorneys general across the country. The way we have been able to push back against the uh, unlawful conduct by this administration, whether it's Betsy DeVos trying to make it harder for students uh, to, you know, to to get student loan relief or add to their their debt burden, or whether um, it was Scott Pruitt just deciding he didn't want to, you know, enforce the Clean Air Act, even though that wasn't his call, mm. we've sued, we've won, uh, and you know, it's funny, Emily, I was I was. Pre-COVID, teaching my fourth graders' class on civics, and you know, you do the lesson about uh, checks and balances, right? Congress, the president, and and the courts, and the kids usually get the get that, and they sort of get the idea of checks and balances. But then I had to inject the idea that it's not just all about horizontal checks and balances, but there is a robust set of vertical checks and balances under the Tenth Amendment that gives states. The opportunity to be a shield against unwarranted federal overreach and a sword to advance the rights of our citizens. You can imagine how well my lecture went over with the fourth graders. They were just <laughs> kind of staring at me like I was, you know, Ruben's goofy dad. But I really, I really feel as though more and more people understand today the, the important role that states can play in protecting their citizens. Uh, against a federal government like this one, which has just been, you know, corrupted by President Trump.
0: How cool is it that those fourth graders got you as their teacher?
2: This is Inside the Hive. America has a problem, one that is uniquely ours. On the new season of Long Shadow, I delve into the complicated history of firearms from the Second Amendment to the AR-15. I try to make sense of how we got here and how we might find a path forward. From Longlead, PRX, and Campside Media, in collaboration with The Trace, I'm Garrett Graff, and this is Long Shadow in Guns We Trust. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: How many suits have you brought against the Trump administration?
2: You know, I don't know the exact number. It's probably somewhere around 30. Um, And, you know, I believe we haven't lost. Now, there's a case that was remanded from the Supreme Court for further uh, reviews. some people would say we didn't fare as well. That was a case where we were trying to uh, protect women's access to, to contraception. But we've won all these cases, whether it's to you know protect the census or our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, our planet, women's reproductive rights, over and over and over again, those rights, immigrant rights, uh, over and over again, those rights have been under assault by this administration. And it'll be so good to have an administration in Washington that just simply follows the law. I won't, I won't agree with everything they do, certainly. Uh, and there'll be a lot of things I might argue should be done differently. But if we can all agree that you just have to follow the law uh, and they do that, well, then we're going to be way ahead of the game and certainly way ahead of where we are right now.
0: What a breath that will be for all of us. <laughs> One of the things that I've been so impressed with in your work and in the work of others, attorneys general, in, in a variety of states has been around election security, both leading up to the election and then defending the vote after the election. I'm curious if if you can just walk us through what you did to allow us in this incredibly complicated election year to to protect the vote and then what the process has been like since the election. Obviously, what we saw last week was a direct result of the president and his cronies trying to sow chaos and then devalue the vote and it must have been very difficult for you to protect that, and I'm just from the inside. Give us a little peek into to what you were working on.
2: Yeah. Emily, the day after our primary, which was in early June, uh, I got my team together, both my criminal top criminal attorneys and and agents, and uh, my top civil folks, and we got together and said, you know. I said to them, I believe we are going to face an assault from the president of the United States, first, to try and make it harder for people to vote, and second, once they voted, to try and take away their votes. Um, And let's be clear, Emily, uh, the president wasn't trying to make it harder for people who look like you and me to vote. He was trying to make it harder for our black and brown communities Mm. to vote. And then he was working overtime to try and disenfranchise them after. So We put together three teams. I called them uh, the the teams that went up till 7 a.m. on election day when the the polls opened. Uh, Then we had our 701 team, which dealt with everything on election day, and our 801 p.m. team, which dealt with everything that would happen after election day. And as I predicted, this president tried to make it harder for people to vote. In fact, he brought he and his Enablers brought 19 lawsuits before Election Day, before Election Day, to make it harder for people to vote. And uh, they went 0 for 19, and we went 19 and 0. Mm. Uh, then we actually had a very safe and smooth Election Day. Law enforcement did its job. Uh, we and our partners here in the state of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the federal level um, and, and the local level did our jobs to make sure it was a safe and smooth Election Day. And then, of course, As soon as the polls closed, uh, the president began his attacks uh, on the Commonwealth, and then they began filing lawsuits, and there have been about 20 more lawsuits that were filed since uh, the polls closed, and we won those as well and protected uh, the votes of more than 7 million Pennsylvanians. Uh, There was no widespread fraud, as the president said. In fact, there was no fraud. I think there were three minor examples, and in those cases, those people actually were Trying to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, Law enforcement did its job. And at the end of the day, uh, the will of the people was respected, which is what I said would happen all along. But it was a lot of work, and credit goes to our team. We faced uh, a considerable amount of firepower. Uh, People who were willing to, uh, you know, use, uh, you know, take stuff to the highest court in the land, the U.S. Supreme Court in order to disenfranchise Pennsylvania voters based on a lie that was being told to them by the President of the United States. Think about this for a second, Emily. I'll cite just one case. The Attorney General of Texas went to the United States Supreme Court to overthrow the election results in Pennsylvania, which Joe Biden won by 80,000 votes, to overthrow uh, that election. Imagine if he had his way. Imagine if he won. It would have been the end of our republic, because Mm -hmm. it would have essentially said that any state that didn't like the outcome of a vote in another state could go to court and overturn it. And we went to the justices of the Supreme Court in our brief, called it an act of sedition. Uh, And sadly, 17 attorneys general signed on to the Texas case. Uh, and of course they lost that case in front of the Supreme Court. The the Supreme Court that had as Donald Trump said my justice is on there. Um, and so at the end of the day the the rule of law held but boy oh boy were we busy uh, you know protecting the will of the people.
0: I'm sure I'm sure it must have been the most mentally and and emotionally exhausting period. I just want to be clear when you talk about um, the Supreme Court's case that they turned down, the the Texas case, the ele- pre-election O for nineteen and the post-election O for twenty. It's not because the lawyers weren't great, or because you're a, a super lawyer, which you are. It's because the facts of the case <laughs> were not your dad on their side.
2: Might argue that point. Well, my dad has but his go own Michigas, right?
0: <laughs> if it's not because the, the the strength of the lawyers or the strength of your lawyering, lawyering. It's because the facts of the case were not on their side. I just want to clarify that.
2: Yeah, they, they had no facts to back up the ridiculous claims that the president made. And in fact, on a few occasions, I mean, you'll recall the president would tweet and talk all the time about election fraud in Pennsylvania, right? Everybody heard that. Yet, when we would question the lawyers or judges would question the lawyers in court here in Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, they would literally say, this is not a fraud case. We do not have evidence of fraud because some of those lawyers understood they could not lie under oath in court, that they had a responsibility to the court, uh, of one of candor, right? Sure. And And yet they didn't have the same burden in their tweets and didn't have the same burden at a press conference. We saw numerous of those Rudy Giuliani press conferences, which were absolutely insane. I mean, it is clear he has, uh, you know, he has fallen a great distance from the time some people thought of him as America's mayor. Um, And, you know, absolutely a delusional figure at this point. But even he would say in court, this was not uh, a fraud case. So we knew the facts were on our side. We knew that they had no evidence to back up the president's tweets. But we also knew that we were going against a lot of lawyers and a lot of jurisdictions. uh, And we had to be on our A game. And we had to stay organized and stay focused and not let a single ball drop because too much was at stake. Sure, The votes of 7 million Pennsylvanians were at stake. And we were not about uh, to let them be disenfranchised as the president wanted.
0: I just realized as you brought up uh, Rudy Giuliani and his delusion, as a as a Pennsylvania and and near Philadelphia resident, have you gone to four seasons total landscaping? Have you scoped it out?
2: You know, I've driven past there a whole bunch of times and it never occurred to me to (laughs) stop there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's just like another sad chapter in Trump and Giuliani's legacy. And, you know, kind of, kind of foreshadowed what a lot of corporations and corporate interests would do weeks later, which we're seeing now, which is cutting ties to Trump and his family, not letting them into their uh, buildings, kicking them out of other buildings, ending leases, cutting them off of their platforms. Um, And, you know, so in that case, they couldn't get to the Four Seasons, but they got to Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And I hope going forward uh, that not only will there be a, a careful look by law enforcement, as to criminally charging them, but also making sure that they are no longer in a position to be able to capitalize uh, in the private sector off their name, uh, which is sullied and tarnished and off of their, uh, you know, lying and conniving ways.
0: Well, it certainly seems like it's headed in that direction.
2: This is Inside the Hive.
0: Because you were so successful in 2020 at heading off all of the the things that could have happened to make it uh, not as seamless as it was in terms of the election and, and to so safely protect the vote. You know, we have a midterm election literally next year now that we're in 2020 and a presidential election right around the corner from that. What do we do going forward to make sure that all elections are as safe as this one was and, and to have you guys not – so crazed leading up to it again, there has to be a better way than you guys fighting court case after court case after court case every election.
2: I mean, look, the reason why it was crazed, to use the word that that used, which I think is an appropriate one, was because of Donald Trump and his enablers. I mean, if if you look back on the election process, it was safe and secure across Mm. the board. And I mean, I'm not an expert on the other states, but it sure seems like it was safe and secure there. I know it was. Here in Pennsylvania, there was no widespread voter fraud anywhere, anywhere. Uh, certainly, I should say in any of these contested states, or as folks call them, these, these battleground states. So it did work. I mean, the 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 poison in this was Donald Trump, mm. uh, and and the way in which he tried to use the courts, uh, you know, to back up his lies. And the way he had his, amp, you know, his enablers amplify it. And so, to me, while there are certainly changes that need to be made to our election codes in the states, like for example, here in Pennsylvania, the ability for counties to be able to process these mail-in ballots uh, sooner than election day, just so we can get results more quickly, that's the type of reform that's seen. But make no mistake, um, that didn't that didn't create a, a problem in the outcome. It, delayed the the uh certificate or not even certification but delayed the public knowing the exact numbers but the, the reality here is that the problem was donald trump yeah and what we have to guard against certainly i would hope upon conviction in the senate you know he would not be in a position uh to run uh, but any of his sycophants who try and run next time it You know, we need to guard against them using the same playbook that that he did. Sure. But Emily, you know, the the final thing I'll say on this, which is important, you know, with all the negative about Donald Trump, the positive here is that our institutions held. You know, our county clerks did a great job running this election. Mm. Our courts, uh, whether courts in red states, blue states, courts where you have elected uh, courts where you have appointed judges, or federal courts, they all held. And a, and a just result came because it respected the will of the people. And that, to me, is an important part that's hard for some folks to, to see right now, which is certainly understandable in the wake of this insurrection and with Donald Trump still around making noise. But I think the fact that our institutions held is a a really important storyline.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, and I feel like I've been singing this, shouting it from the rooftops. Democracy worked, and it didn't just work by accident. I think democracy is resilient and all that, but because people like you and your staff and people like you around the country protected it and fought for it tooth and nail. And I think that that is such a comforting thing, and I think that that will be the enduring story. We just happen to be... We have a, a chaos agent still in charge, and and once he's not in charge, hopefully the the storyline will go back to the positive. But my great fear is that in elections going forward, people will no longer accept the results if the election doesn't go their way, like some democratic dam has broken or something. That's that's what I've been thinking about the, the last week. Have we gone past a point where people are going to just accept the results of the election even if they don't like the results?
2: Yeah, Emily, that's a great point. So it's it's less, you know, as as you say about the mechanics of the election process and more the the mindset of people. And and boy, I think you're right. You know, Donald Trump has had an effect, right? People question the results because he spent months, even months before the election, saying it was rigged. And uh, there are people who, after, you know, Joe Biden is sworn in, will continue to believe that it was rigged. And uh, that that effect that Trump has had is going to live on. And I think it's part of a broader issue that we need to address as, as Americans. And and that is that we have got to figure out a way to agree to a basic set of facts again. Um and get back to the days where we could have spirited arguments about, you know, which was the best health care bill or what's the appropriate, you know, foreign policy response to something, right? The traditional arguments. But it's almost impossible to have those if you can't agree on a basic set of facts. And I think that there is um, an awesome responsibility that that falls on Joe Biden's shoulders uh, to help heal this nation and do that work. But I will say it also falls obviously on the media, and you know that, but it falls on all Americans to be more responsible on their timelines, um, to be more careful about what they share and and say, and see if we can get back to a basic set of facts in this country. And and that, I think, is the most important thing for our democracy right now.
0: Mm, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think you know, as a reporter, it's something I think about all the time. It's something I think about for elected officials. And I do think that the the public has a real responsibility here. But Bef- Before I let you go, I want to just quickly ask you, and I can't believe we've made it this long without bringing up the pandemic, uh, but there's so much going on. I just want to quickly ask you, um, you have been warning Pennsylvanians about scams that are popping up, about things they should be looking out for around Covid nineteen. Uh, I'm wondering if you could just walk me through what you're seeing, what people should watch out for, and and what we should know.
2: Yes, yeah, sadly, we are seeing at a time where we need to be focused on getting these vaccines in people's arms. We're seeing people try to take advantage of seniors, try and take advantage of uh, you know good law abiding Pennsylvanians uh, and scamming them and making it actually harder for them to get that vaccine uh, in their arm. And, you know, we've seen an uptick in these scams really across the country. Some consumers we think are are being scammed and not even realize it. So we put out some helpful guidance on my website, you know, www.attorneygeneral.gov for things for people to watch out for, you know, not to click on unsolicited links uh, telling you that you can uh, get your vaccines here or there or not to agree to pay a broker to get you a vaccine more quickly, Ugh. things like that. And and we really want to stress, particularly to older Pennsylvanians and older Americans, um, don't answer the unsolicited calls. Don't click on the unsolicited emails or texts. That those are usually uh, a sign of a scam and something that can really get you in trouble. And uh, if you do find yourself being scammed, contact us right away. Just email us directly, scams at attorneygeneral.gov, or you can call our our toll-free hotline and we'll get on it and and make sure you're protected and and made whole again.
0: Well, that's so helpful because obviously all of these scams are so prevalent and they're they're getting harder and harder to spot, but we also have an administration that completely botched the rollout of the vaccine. Even I it's, I would have no idea how to sign up for a vaccine and I think that I'm like a a fairly engaged knowledgeable citizen. I I just like don't even know how I would do it. And so for people who are less engaged or less tech savvy, it seems crazy. And, and on top of it, you know, we're in the age of misinformation in general. No one trusts anything. So right. that you're doing this work is so important. Uh, as someone whose entire family lives in Pennsylvania, I'm so grateful for you doing it. And I'm so grateful for your time coming on here. It's been such a treat. Anytime you want to come back and talk about anything, our arms are wide open.
2: Uh, it's awesome, Emily. This was great, and thank you so much. Um, I'm excited uh, for for you and and all the great things you're doing. And I love Vanity Fair, and I'll keep keep reading, keep listening. And um, thanks for you know giving a voice to um, the work we've been doing, in particular the the great work that my team here in the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office has been doing. I'm I'm so proud of them, and I'm grateful to be able to amplify their terrific work.
0: Always and anytime. Thank you again. Thanks, Emily. Thank you to my guest, Attorney General Shapiro, and of course, my co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks so much to the great folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to our sponsors. Please support them any way you would support this podcast. We will see you next week.